Greetings and welcome to When the Moment Chooses You. And I wanted to give a little bit of context on this second part of Dr. Paulina Van's episode that I shared with you last week. And this week, she is going to continue to talk about her near-death experiences that caused her to become all that she is today. And she also is going to share with us some of the poetry that he, she has written from her experiences. So stay tuned for this particular segment. I know that you're going to enjoy it. Okay, so Dr. Paulina, I would love for you to share your your third moment that you told us about when the moment chose you. So my second near-death experience was after I had um, abdominal surgery and um, I was over-sedated. And it was either, I had a pump, and it's either human error or pump failure, but I was over-sedated. And um, I couldn't be awakened. Although I could hear what was going on around me, I couldn't wake up. And at some point during that over-sedation interval, I I saw this bright light. And it started pulling me towards it. And it felt so good. I I couldn't wait to get there. Um, It was just, it picked me up and was taking me towards it. And all of a sudden, the light was cut off. And I saw my mother, who had been deceased for at least 25 years. And you know how moms can give you that look like, you're not coming here. And she didn't say anything to me, but she gave me that look. It was like, you can't, you can't come here right now. And so it's like I backed up and I woke up. And my uh, folks from my church were around the bed. And my best friend, Dr. Diana um, Jennings, I hope she sees this. I can't thank her, her enough. Um, she, uh, we went through uh, the doctoral program together. We studied together. We worked at two universities together. And during my surgeries and patient stay, she slept there every night. Um, and I want to thank her husband too. And so for five nights, she slept at my wow. bedside. And she saved my life because that night that she came in, she noticed that I couldn't be. Um, uh, awaken and she started barking orders that's she's an ER nurse and she started barking orders yes you know I had another chance at life that's that story well that is wow just I mean all I can do is say wow and um, just the gratitude and the graciousness and the honor to actually sit and listen to uh, your experiences because, um, I mean, that's a lot and it could have went a different way. And look, you're here, vibrant, beautiful, just touching lives and making a difference with everything that you do. Um, Dr. Van, um, I would love to hear um, the first poem that you mentioned. I think it was called... um, It Hurts. Yes, It Hurts. Could you read that one for us? I would love to hear that one just because that was like the original one. So this is the book, and the title is It Hurts. 
It hurts because I buried experiences. It hurts because my emotions came through anyway. It hurts because my parents were the culprits. It hurts because I couldn't defend myself. It hurts because the abuse lived in the background, adversely impacting my life. It hurts because I didn't feel lovable. It hurts because feeling unworthy made me accept relationships which were unhealthy. It hurts because I pushed people away who could have been helpful and loving. It hurts because I suffered emotionally most of my life. It hurts because I may have impacted others unknowingly, but now I'm healing the hurts. Hurt is fleeting. Hurt is losing power. Hurt is dead. And I get to live on love. Mm, somebody out there needed to hear that. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. And she will have, I will have a link down there so that you can order the book. Um, that is powerful. I just think about some of the traumas, you know, that I've had as a, as a young person all the way up until today. And, and that is just so profound because sometimes you can't voice it with words, but hearing that, you know, it just totally resonates with some of the experiences that I've had. Now, um, Dr. Van, how did you shift from that pain and trauma to that healing? that you talked about in that poem? What were some of the things that you did to help yourself to get to that healing place? You know, I, I allowed myself to be a vessel. I responded to the call. So in the first book, there are a hundred poems. I'm on, I've completed five books and now I started number six last week. So I respond to the call. So except when I'm driving, if I get this feeling and it's very distinct, I get this warm feeling, then I know something is coming through. But like I said, the I can mm. see the words, I can see the title, and I can see the first four lines of the poem. Now, there have been times when I've been driving that I, I couldn't. And people say, well, why don't you record it? Well, if I record it, then I can't hear the word. So, you know, I, I can't do both. And I, I can't write yes. because I can't write fast enough. So, you know. So. Yeah, that's just pretty amazing. Just um, the four. I mean, is it every time four lines? Well, that's what comes to me. Um, the longest poem in the first book, okay. I believe, is 55 lines. So once I start typing, and there's there's something about typing out the words, it's almost like they're, coming through me and coming through my fingers and I know what to type in the keyboard and um, I just type and they just come and I know when the end is it's the words just stop and I have this sense of completion yes oh that's so awesome and so beautiful so you are just like so dynamic so let's I want to um, go a little bit deeper um I'd like to know from you, though, you through your experience, because you said you've been it's been 50 plus years in the nursing profession and academia. Um, what type of barriers did you face? I mean, can you share some of your barriers, um, you know, especially as a African-American 
Uh, just wondering, did you face any barriers or how was that for you? Yes, a- absolutely. I faced barriers. And um, at age 27, I was the nurse executive at a major hospital associated with the university where I work. So um, I started my executive leadership position very early in my career. And I was always, I know this sounds cliche, but I was the only person of color at the table. And at that time, it was mostly with um, white men um, at the table. But I, I held my own. And uh, over the years, I have had unexpected gut punches from colleagues um, in various, various ways. And my response is, and see, this comes from my parents. What my parents told me, well, besides a love of education and dedication to education and also um, my religious practices and, and, and my faith. They taught me, just by their behavior, it wasn't a sit-down conversation, but they taught me that I was as good as anyone else. And I am an immigrant. I forgot to share that with you. I am an immigrant from Central America. So we, um, the stories that I had from my, from my parents were not about slavery. It, matter of fact, I didn't get many stories from my parents because children were to be seen and not heard. Um, and yes. so, <laughs> yes. yeah. So my coming to these situations where there's microaggressions and um, outright um, attacks, they bothered me, but they didn't stop me. And so I always showed up. I always defended myself, always, in a grace, with grace and respect, no matter how someone um, would have, you know, attacked me. And this is what I learned from my parents. I, I watched them navigate the world. And so, yeah, I've been, oh, I, I, there's just so, I mean, I've been a leader and not given yeah. accurate or complete information. Um, people tried to take my job away, um, who reported to me. And um, I've he even had an academia colleagues tried to um, uh, treat me in a way that wasn't respectful and uh, just demeaned me and put me on the periphery. But you know what? I just keep going. I keep my eye on the prize. Yes. That's what I do. Well, and that's so important because if you didn't, then there wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to see you. Like for us, the other um, Blacks and people of color that are coming up through the ranks, they wouldn't be able to see it, be able to, you know, it done, to be honest, because you can't do what you can't see. So to be able to see you mm-hmm. and to see you doing what you're doing to the resilience that it took to keep pressing through. And I love how you say you don't allow other people to define who you are, because that's really early on in my um, nursing career. I had just um, finished graduate. Well, I wasn't done. It was our last semester and I was taking care of this patient. And, um, you know, I just wanted to get her beautiful so that her family can see her for the first time because they had just put her into a home. And so uh, I was cleaning her up, um, Dr. Van, and 
she grabbed my wrist with these long fingernails and she said, get your hands off of me. And she used the N word. Mm. And I was, this is like a new grad getting ready to graduate. And I was like, oh my God, is this going to be like me in the profession? Like, am I going to be degraded like this all the time? But my mom also taught me about loving beyond and not allowing anybody's words to define who you were. And so I was, I was so traumatized though by that comment because I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I had to just eat it up because there was nobody else that looked like me. And when I did mention it, it was brushed off like, oh, that person just had Alzheimer's or whatever. So there was no like, you know, you know, you need like kind of just to let it, let it out. And so, um, and then when I graduated, I got to this organization and then my first day on the job, first day I was all my white on. I had my white scrubs, my white pants, white shirt. I am Miss Nurse already. And as soon as I get there, right, I'm putting my stuff away. And uh, there was a, it was a blonde lady and she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, are you our new housekeeper? And then I was like, no, I'm not. I am on your team now. This is my first day. And it was no words or anything. And so I was so uncomfortable sitting there getting reported, getting introduced and things like that, because that was like my first experience with this new position that I'm super, super thrilled about. So again, could not allow her ignorance to determine my value. And so I kept pressing through them. And actually all of those incidents that I've been through has made me so determined to be who I am today. I think they all are connecting points up to where I am now, where I'm not ashamed to be a disruptor. I'm not afraid to speak about it anymore. So, uh, so yeah, I totally resonate with your story. Thank you for giving those specifics um, because I, I, I really feel the viewers need need to hear that. Um, and, you know, I kind of buried mine. Uh, I, I do remember um, one and uh, that happened in the academic setting. And, you know, I'm always on the edge of innovation when it comes to teaching my classes in terms of who I have as guest speakers, my instructional strategies. And so I had an attorney coming to speak to the, the students, and these were um, first-year nursing students, about how to protect themselves um, uh, in the profession. And, you know, no one else had done that, and they didn't want me to do it, unbeknownst to me. And uh, it was an African-American female attorney who I invited. And a group of them went down to the uh, lobby and told her that I had canceled my class. Now, she had come over from San Francisco. And she said, hmm, Dr. Van would not have allowed me to drive all the way over here if she canceled her class. I'm, I'm going to go find her. And in this group, there, there were colleagues who I thought, you know, we were colleagues and, and we worked together and we did a lot of things together. But this one incident, um, they felt, you know, we don't want her to do that. So we're going to stop her. And, you know, it was, it was, it hurt. I mean, I'm going to be quite honest. These were people, um, 
that I work with and that smile at me and that we have lunch together. But then they did this act. Um, and of course, the class went on and it was a phenomenal class. Um, but these are the things that happen to us. And sometimes we don't even know it's happening until we have the, the effect of it, right? Um, it's yes. happening behind the scenes. And, and, um, but yeah, but how did I respond? I didn't let it go. I didn't get angry. Um, I had a meeting. I, I asked my, uh, the dean, I said, we need to meet and talk about what happened. Now, of course, it wasn't very productive because they denied doing that. But at least they know that I'm going to address everything that, that comes up. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's wonderful because I think that's like the first thing, just being like having the courage to actually mm -hmm. address it. Like for me, it was getting the courage to mm -hmm. actually finally use my voice as a change agent and mm -hmm. to transform that environment. So, yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, that's I mean, I think so many people are dealing with that, this yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. this topic in particular. We are making advances and I think I see a shift and some changes mm -hmm. coming to play. But um, just like one of the things that you're very passionate about as maternal child mm -hmm. and our moms, our Black moms um, with their mortality rate in pregnancy, it's um, there's so much work to be done. And so I would love to know um, what type you said you did research. So can you tell us a little bit more about your research? Sure, sure. So I mentioned early in the program that I was motivated to earn my PhD because I wanted to solve uh, the problem of the disparity of African-American women losing their pregnancies more than any other race. And very early in my um, study, matter of fact, the first quarter at UCSF, I realized that there were so many factors, social, cultural, historical, political, financial, that impacted that loss rate that I said, what can I do in my lifetime? And what I could do in my lifetime is help them to cope after the loss. And so I've done, I started, my mm -hmm. dissertation study was about with, was with predominantly African-American women over a hundred African American women um, I interviewed. I did a pilot study early in the program, but my dissertation was with a hundred African American women. And then I went on. I did a postdoc at UCSF, and I went on to include white, Asian, Hispanic, um, and other races, South Pacific races, and. I replicated the study with those populations. And then um, I was asked to lead a group in Mexico City. So there were a group of 10 midwives and they replicated my, my study. So going along over the years, I've been adding more and more women's voices, diverse women's voices. So although the, first, the initial theory was based solely on African-American women, that over the years, other races' perspectives were um, represented. And more recently, uh, a student, a doctoral student in Spain replicated my work, and she asked if she could spend 
time with me to help her to analyze and and publish. And so she came over from Spain and spent three months with me. Wow. And we analyzed. Uh, okay, so my first language is Spanish, but I don't speak Spanish. I speak Spanglish, okay, because I've lost it. <laughs> but, um, uh, and so we uh, translated uh, the, the transcripts and we developed a manuscript, which, which is published. Um, and uh, she extended my theory with the perspectives of European Spanish women. So right now I have uh, a theory. It's been extended with the American and Mexican populations. And now I'm going to extend it with the European uh, Spanish population. And also, I spent two years in a postdoc. So you get the theme, I really like to be educated. Um, yes. And I, I spent two years of postdoc with Jean Watson, and I undergirded my theory with Caring Science. And so that is a publication that, that we're working on. And um, that theory oh, has wow. me all over the world. I've been invited to um, speak about it in at least eight countries. And so it's, it's wow. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's good work. It absolutely is. And I uh, just have to honor our visionary, <laughs> Dr. Jean, while we're on the program, because I know she's going to watch this. Hi, Jean. <laughs> um, so uh, I wanted to know, um, so I'm hearing all of the wonderful things that you're doing. What if there's someone on the other side of the screen and they're kind of stuck? You know, we've come through three years of the COVID-19, the racial injustice, the personal pandemics, all of the loss, all of the uh, people leaving the nursing field. Like what type of advice would you give them, Dr. Van, for someone that really is just stuck and they're like really struggling? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is remember why you went into nursing in the first place. And I, I remember writing an essay back in the 70s that I have kept that describes why I went in, into nursing. So if you don't have something like that, if it was an assignment early um, in your nursing career, or even it might have been part of your application to your undergrad or um, associate's degree program, pull that out or try to rewrite it so that you'll always have it and can refer to it. Um, the other is, once you figure that out, recall that, be clear about what your goals are going forward and prepare yourself to achieve them. And don't have a glass ceiling. Remember, you're able to do anything you put your mind to. Okay? Everything you need is within you. So, but you got to prepare yourself. Mm. So preparing might involve garnering more education or training. Okay. Um, I have had, uh, I have so many certifications, but I go after <laughs> what brings me passion and what's going to help me navigate the world better to help others. Okay. So it may be more education, getting yes. a higher degree, certificate, training, okay? Then 
And, and these aren't in priority order. They're, as they're coming to me, I'm sharing. Get your life in order, okay? To create mm. a solid foundation to navigate this new landscape or new opportunity that you're going to go after. So whatever it means to get your life in order, um, try to do that, okay? And then another thing is achieve your optimal health. That's physical, mental, social. Whatever that means, go get your physicals, okay? Your mammograms or your um, prostate prostate exams. Then clear and organize your physical space. And I'll tell you why. And this is a constant. I'm Mm. constantly doing this. Because your energy, the things around you are energy, and your space is energy. So you want to clear the space so the energy will flow. You'll have and you'll have ease in the space. Work-life balance. Again, whatever that means to you. I know I'm I'm a recovering uh, workaholic, a work in progress, and I have to focus on making sure I balance. Because I love my work. I could do it 20 hours a day, and sometimes I do. But there's a part of you. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you may be a sibling, a cousin, a partner, a husband, wife, mother, father, okay, friend. Don't forget that part of your life. Being clear about your goals also will support you to respond to opportunities that are right for you, okay? Mm that you are prepared for, that you have passion for, okay, that are the desires of your heart. Because if you're not clear about your goals, you're going to go here and there and, you know, up and down. Yes. you got you got to be clear and hold on to that. And then get help for imposter syndrome, okay? Uh-oh, come on. Okay, so <laughs> is it, you know, do you need a mentor to kind of, check in with you and boost you up do you need to go to therapy i I know i go to therapy for a a variety of things okay but imposter system uh, syndrome is real and it needs your attention to mitigate it put it on the shelf okay it's okay if it comes out a little bit because it can be a motivator but you don't want it hanging around you don't want to live and breathe in that space and lastly, yes. that comes to my mind, um, and Dr. Charlene and I have been talking about this, and that is respond to your calling, because each of us mm. are called to do something, and the calling is not going to scream at you, okay? It's going to talk mm. gently to you. Uh, yeah, so respond to your calling. And I'm going to repeat this because I know I struggle with it too. And it's related to imposter syndrome. Everything you need, you have within you. And if you don't have it within you, you know where to find it externally. Wow, what a powerful 
session that we just had with Dr. Van. I hope you enjoyed her stories of her near-death experience, as well as the barriers that she had to fight through to get to where she is. Also, she shared some wisdom gems with us, and they were absolutely powerful. So thank you so much for joining this session too. And I look forward to seeing you on the next one. And hey, do me a favor. I want you to subscribe to my YouTube channel or follow and please share some comments of how you liked the podcast. Okay. I'll see you over at the last session next week.